Hi, this is Cameron. And I'm Jorge Luis. Today we have a special guest. Susie Grabko Olson is going to be with us from our ministry site in Kalakali and share with us what Educational Hope is doing out in the countryside. Stay tuned for an amazing story and uh, information about E equals H. Let's start now. Hopecast. Learning about the life and mission of education equals hope. Hi, I'm Cameron Graham-Vivanco. And my name is Jorge Luis Rodriguez. I'm the co-founder of Education Equals Hope, and I direct the program here in Ecuador. And I am the coordinator of teams and training for Equals H here in Ecuador as well. It, he is indeed. And welcome to episode 13. Yep. We're back with you. And remember, uh, just a reminder that Education Will's Hope exists to help provide for the education of those in desperate and difficult situations. Thanks for being back with us. Today, we have a special guest. <laughs> we love having guests on the show. And today, we have Susie Grabko Olson um, with us. She is... Hi, Susie. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> um, I've known Susie for a long time. She first came on a short-term team in 2003. Four. And four. Oh, man, I was off by year. Sorry. Um, 2004. And Susie and I have led parallel lives in all sorts of ways. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that story, besides being in youth ministry, both of us doing youth guiding and things like that, we um, are both a part of Youth World. And Susie is directing the, well, that's not true. She just stepped down, but she has helped <laughs> start an Education Equals Hope program in Kala Kali. Yes. You guys know Kala Kali, Ecuador? Of it's, course. It's <laughs> <laughs> Kalakali, Ecuador. Susie, tell us a little bit about Kalakali. Yeah, Kalakali is a quiet little hamlet, I would say. We're <laughs> hamlet. Good yeah. use of the word hamlet. We are located about 45 minutes outside of the capital city of Quito. And we're actually one of the, we are the last town on the city bus line mm-hmm. coming out this mm-hmm. way. And from our town, uh, we sit at about 10,000 feet. And from here, the highway goes down towards the coast. So we're sort of that last stop before you head on uh, to another region here in Ecuador. Um, but we're of a farming community. There's about 3,000 people in the whole surrounding area. The town itself is almost 450 years old, so a rich history. Wow. A very traditional town. Um, generations have worked the land for... Mm-hmm. Um, generations of families most people historically didn't own their own property and so they would work for the different landowners here in this area so we're haciendas a big part of this yeah area country estate haciendas and so as a result currently there's a very strong value towards owning your own land mm. and anyone who owns their own land finds whatever little pocket they can to plant corn or potatoes um, the equatorial line runs through our town so we actually get two harvests per oh, year wow. of corn and then potatoes um, and the current generation is the first to pursue, pursue university level degrees, wow. um, generally mm-hmm. here in this town. Most parents or grandparents likely only have grade school level education. And so when you say, I'm sorry to interrupt, when you say they pursue university, obviously there's some steps to get there first, but this is the first yes. generation that's going to complete high school and be able to go to university? Yes. So really, it's their, this is the first generation to really focus on graduate from high school? Yeah, and most a lot of the, the 
the uh, occupations or vocational jobs that people have here are more in trades like mason workers, carpenters, mm-hmm. um, farmers who continue to work the land for, for current landowners in addition to their little plots that they own themselves. Um, and then we have uh, one high school and one grade school here in the center of town. Yeah. And the town itself is made up of, of five or six different little neighborhoods. And the camp and retreat center where I currently work uh, with my husband and a, a team of other people. We're Youth on the World edge of El Refugio. Youth World El yes. Refugio. <laughs> um, so we're right on the edge of town and about a mile and a half past us is a little two-room schoolhouse that mm-hmm. is also a public government-run schoolhouse. Yeah, and right um, mm-hmm. And so we have that little school in addition to the grade school in the center of town. And then um, there's one Catholic church and one other church that happens to be a Baptist church here mm-hmm. in town. And it's interesting, as a town, we're sort of in this juxtaposition. My husband and I arrived eight years ago, and when we first arrived, internet was not even available in our neighborhood. Right. And the whole town was signing a petition to get internet to run out to this neighborhood. So, And even re- listening, remember life before internet? <laughs> we now take it so for granted, and especially yeah. Yeah. currently, but signing a petition to get internet. Wow, yeah. great. Yeah, okay. so we're sort of in this crossroads as a community. It's a very traditional place. You know, everyone has their little hole-in-the-wall restaurants in the front rooms of their homes Mm. or little shops or tiendas that where people, you know, get their food for the day um, in each neighborhood. Um, And, you know, you have these young people that are starting to go to university. But other than that, you have a very traditional way of living. Like the um, fields are plowed still with oxen. Oh, wow. (laughs) And planted by hand. Um, Within our town, there's two community tractors at this point that people can use if the landowners feel like their plots of land are large enough for that. But so it's this really interesting place where you're living between both worlds. Hmm. The both worlds being what's available to you through the internet and then the old old school world of plowing your fields with oxen. Yes. Is that what you, that juxtaposition? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're sort of in this crossroads with this new generation of, of people pursuing higher level education and things like that. Um, and, and still trying to, yeah, provide for their families in the traditional ways. Susie, tell me, um, what does poverty, because equals age exists to provide for those in desperate and difficult situations, what are the desperate and difficult situations you see out in the campo? Yeah, I think one of the challenges uh, here in our community is that because so many of our townspeople are trades workers, it's really dependent on projects. A lot of the the men and women who are able to find jobs, you know, it might be for a few weeks at a time or here and there. A lot of the families, you know, are making basic salary, which here in Ecuador is, you know, 300 some a month. Mm. Um, And you have some different varying levels. So you have uh, some more people from indigenous backgrounds Mm -hmm. who don't even own their own property, but they're living as caretakers on these landowners' properties. Um, And so you're going to see a varying level of what the condition of the poverty is like here. Um, there's always food available in Kalakali because, I mean, farm to table <laughs> is, is a lifestyle yeah. here. It, um, everybody who can grow something does, and there's always something to share. But in terms of those other types of upward advancement opportunities are maybe not as readily available 
to families. Um, and, and it starts with education, right? Right. <laughs> and I've noticed just talking about the poverty, we've, we've spent a lot yeah. of time on the show talking mm-hmm. about the different kind of poverty, the poverty of condition. And I've, and I've seen in Kala Kali, um, a, there's never a lack of food. You can get the calories, but there's not necessarily the variety of food. Right. It's all yeah. carbohydrates, corn, potato, abas. Lots of rice. Lots rice. of white rice. <laughs> white rice. And so you see cavities, a lot of cavities, because dental mm. care is not very accessible nor uh, used. And yes. not a whole lot of vitamins and minerals mm-hmm. necessarily and, and a variety of diet. But anyway, so yes. so those are that, that's the reality that you're seeing. Yes. And then we also talk about the poverty of being and the poverty of, mm-hmm. of purpose. Mm-hmm. And so young people growing out up not not knowing what to do with their life besides continue to farm. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, and I think we, we partner with the, the two-room schoolhouse down in, uh, at the end of the road, which is a small community called Rayacucho. It's part of Calakali, but it's sort of the furthest out neighborhood. And I think that's one of the challenges. A lot of the families are working hard to produce crops for the landowners. And so one of the challenges that we see is, you know, once these students are 8, 9, 10 years old, the parents see more value in the kids being in the fields, helping them work, mm-hmm. necessarily than continuing on or showing up to their classes each day. Sure. Um, and so it's trying to come alongside these families to be able to um, preserve the heritage and, and to bring value to the hard work and their lifestyle as people who work the land, but also to, to hopefully bring along the perspective, too, that there are other opportunities that can also come alongside that. It doesn't have to be either or. Sure. Yeah. And and there certainly is nothing uh, in any way, shape, or form wrong with continuing to be mm-hmm. a farmer. I, mean, <laughs> I appreciate it very, very much. But helping them um, d- do it in a better way or and uh, reach their goals, their personal goals for themselves mm-hmm. or for their children or yeah, for, for their families. What not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... If you could please share what COVID has meant in this community, especially in the educational system. You had the both. You had two children in that local school system when lockdown happened in March. Yes, yeah. So when my husband and I moved here eight years ago, it was important to us um, personally, but also as a ministry at this camp and retreat center where we work to be able to be a part of the community. So we made the decision early on that we would like our kids to be a part of the local school system. And COVID has been really challenging because, like I mentioned, you know, internet only came to this town uh, within the last 10 years. Some neighborhoods still don't even have it. And so when you're going to a non um, or when you're going to a virtual system for mm-hmm. schooling, mm-hmm. that's been a real challenge in, in the public What does that schools. look like? How do they do virtual if they yeah. don't have internet? So, um, yeah, you can't count on finding internet in most of the homes here in our town. I would probably say it's probably about a third of, of the homes in our town probably have internet that they can count on. So what the school teachers have done is they've done everything via WhatsApp mm-hmm. um, using that app on smartphones they send a pdf smartphone (laughs) yeah well for the phones that can you know load that type of application but um yeah so they send us a pdf in the morning via whatsapp of what the assignment is for that day and then we have until a certain time to be able to finish it take a picture and send it back Um, but even that is challenging a lot of of parents (laughs) we have these uh, whatsapp group messages uh, with all of the parents and it's a real challenge because most of their phones can't handle saving Mm. that many photos so every so often they have to completely erase their phone 
reset it to factory settings. They have to, you know, re-get in touch with the WhatsApp group. So it's, and there's no live lecture. There's no teaching that's been going on since COVID happened. So that it's been a challenge in terms of, of the schooling. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But I will say in terms of our location here in Kalakali and our program of Education Equals Hope, um, it has created a platform or a vehicle for us to be able to figure out how do we really get things going. Um, because our location here for the micro scholarship program started in the midst of COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, oh, just a tiny bit of history. Susie and I have dreamed for years, how do we start Educationalist Hope seeing the need out here wow. um, and then wanting to do it well and to do it right. And yeah, and what's, what, what's our value, Jorge Luis? What do you think our value is in doing it I right? I think one of the most important things for us is always to think about the relationships that we can create through ministry and through programs like Equals H. You're not just able to provide mm. something, but you're able to change and walk with them. It's not just about yep. coming and doing something for them or forcing them to change their lives. It's to provide a different way of changing yourself while mm-hmm. they keep growing too. Yeah. Um, so that's one one of the my favorite parts uh, is always like the relationships that you can create through that mm-hmm. accompaniment, you know, like the, that process of hearing about just getting the receipt. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a, a little new option for you, a new a new challenge for you to mm-hmm. just keep in touch with them. How has that yeah. looked like for you? Yeah, well, I mean... Tell us a little bit how it started and and how those relationships all happened. Yeah, and I love the idea of relationship because my exposure to Education Equals Hope began with relationship way back when. (laughs) Um, I'm from Fargo, North Dakota. There's a church there, First Lutheran Church. Shout out to First Lutheran Fargo. (laughs) Um, It's actually one of my sending churches for my my family personally uh, to be here. But I've watched them develop that relationship Mm -hmm. in in the Education Equals Hope site of Carmen Bajo where they've been involved for years. And so in that same spirit of collaboration, Collaboration over time, as my husband and I and El Refugio, we got involved in the community here in Kalakali. We wanted to find out how can we really come alongside mm-hmm. these families, develop relationship, and not just come in with, you know, here, you know, here's fifteen, twenty, fifty dollars a month, and wave it around and, and try to pretend <laughs> that we were going to fix everything, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Because uh-huh. money can cause a lot of problems That's if true. we don't handle right. it well. And historically, our camp and retreat center hasn't been involved in a financial way in the community, and so we wanted to step forward in that cautiously and intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, from the beginning, um, in talking in with Education Equals Hope and trying to partner together. Uh, there also came in another entity, Alliance Academy. There was a group of students two years ago that really started to take interest in helping out every so often at our Sunday school programs, at, at the church in town, and just trying to figure out how can we come alongside what mm-hmm. El Refugio is mm-hmm. doing in the community. And so that group of students raised money for the micro scholarships. Oh, wow. So That's suddenly cool. we had $200 a month to try to figure out how do we want to get going with this. Well, then COVID happened. <laughs> and um, Details, details. Yeah, details. But then in addition to that, Education Equals Hope uh, told us about some special relief funding. And so mm-hmm. yeah. we use that special relief funding to be able to identify some families that we saw were in need. Um, and we put together some food kits. I prayerfully considered who I wanted to ask that were some friends of mine in the community if they were interested to to sort of start this thing together. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, to start it out of relationship. Exactly. Look at that. <laughs> exactly. So the food kits began. I have two ladies here at El Refugio that I work with, Angelica and Anita, and we banded together 
and we started with 10 families. We identified who are 10 families that could really benefit from these food kits that are really having a hard time making it through the pandemic situation. Um, and we started with that. So uh, that was our vehicle to get the conversation going. And then from there, we were able to tell them about this micro scholarship program mm -hmm. that we were gonna be mm -hmm. starting. So we started the food kits in June. And mm -hmm. then our first uh, invitation for families to come to hear about the micro scholarships was in August. Okay. So we had a couple of months to be in touch with the families, to follow up with them. We actually did two rounds of, of giving out the food kits mm -hmm. and then invited those families to come to hear more about the scholarship program. And those food kits aren't just because you're nice people. It's because COVID had locked down everything and yeah. people had... Oh, they yeah. had food, they had potatoes from their field to eat, but they maybe didn't have sugar or oil or no. rice, whatever they didn't no. grow. And what was really neat is, so we, we know of a few farmers who uh, usually, you know, delivered um, organic vegetables into the city of Quito. But because of COVID, lockdown, quarantine, they weren't able to deliver those. So they were not able to make the money that they were used to making. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we came alongside those farmers and we asked if we could purchase... Mm. bags of vegetables and fruit from them oh, to be able wow. to include in our food kits um, because yeah people here the the corn the the potatoes the rice those were easy things that were accessible but it's the the nutrient-rich foods uh -huh. and then also figuring out again that collaboration how can we help this farmer who's struggling uh -huh. to deliver their goods to be able to come alongside hey we'll purchase them let's deliver them to these families we also included um, chickens <laughs> um, Ecuadorians always know how to prepare chicken <laughs> well <laughs> favorite, favorite food chicken and rice of course. yeah exactly so so the food kits were important because families weren't able to get the, their main source of income. A lot yeah. of people mm -hmm. weren't allowed to go to work, those that even did have jobs. And so food became um, an important piece to be able to just get families through sure. before, until we could figure out, you know, what was next. What an amazing, amazing story. Susie, we're going to um, dive into the next topic of yes. the, the micro loans, mm -hmm. the micro businesses. Yes. But we're going to do that on episode 14 of our podcast. Okay, great. So, That's exciting. <laughs> we, <laughs> it is just incredible to have you to hear this story mm -hmm. firsthand. Thank you for what you do for Educational is Hope. And Absolutely. thank you for um, the relationships. Um, you I, Maybe I mentioned this at the very beginning. So you started this and now you've actually handed it over to Angelica and Anita and you're still on the board, but you're not yes. the president and you're not the outsider calling the shots. No. You are on the board encouraging the local president to make the decisions that are best for her community. Yep, exactly. Really exciting stuff. So thank you for being here. Um, thank you, dear listener, for uh, always tuning in. We would love for you, we invite for you, invite you to be a Educational's Hope if you would like to support a program like Susie's talking about. We'd love for you to do that. And you can do that at www. Oh, education equals hope.org. <laughs> uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel for more things and stay tuned for more incredible stories and information about E equals, e equals H. Thank you for listening. We'll Bye. see you next time. Thanks for listening to our Hopecast. If you want to join the mission or know more about it, please visit our webpage, www.educationequalshope.org, or check our YouTube channel and Instagram with the same name.